the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I mean, the devil comes to us in life. He comes to you and me, and I know it's the same temptation. He convinces us that there is no cross in the Christian journey, that grace is cheap but not costly, that we don't have to give of ourselves to receive the free gift. And the same error came to Christ. He offered Christ an easy exit from the path that led to glory, but there is no easy exit from the path that leads to glory. The cost of discipleship is real, and Christ chose the cross. That's Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, make sure that you call us at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Someone is there right now to take your prayer request and to pray with you. 888-244-HOPE. Today's broadcast with Pastor Michael Oxentenko is in the Cosmic Controversy series. It is number 14, entitled Cosmic Crisis, Your Crisis, and the Cross. That's Cosmic Crisis, Your Crisis, and the Cross. We will bring you the first portion of this broadcast today. Remember, at any time, you can go to reachingyourheart.com and listen to this broadcast in its entirety without interruption. And There are many other messages there archived available for you to listen to as well. Let's get underway with today's Reaching Your Heart. Here now is our pastor teacher, Michael Oxentenko. Dear heart, evil is alive and well today on planet Earth. If you haven't checked the news or if you haven't looked within your neighborhood, if you haven't sensed its impact in the world, then you're really spiritually numb to the times in which we're living. The starving and oppressed country of North Korea, the butcher fields of Syria, the list goes on. The people of this world need Jesus Christ. The people of our neighborhoods need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the people in this pew need Jesus Christ. There is proof all around us that the cosmic conflict is here and we're all caught up in a great spiritual controversy that is the source of every person's crisis in this room that is the source of all the stuff you deal with on a daily basis. The war with evil inside your head started in heaven in the mind of Lucifer. I mean, it didn't start in your head. It didn't start in your neighborhood or the world. It started in the mind of Lucifer. It was an invasion of ideas. But more profoundly, it was an invasion of attitudes. The spirit of the evil one is the attitude of the evil one. It was against God. It was against faith, against the church. Every sin you struggle against and every weakness that you fight against deep within your head, it started with a bad attitude and a bad mind deep inside of Lucifer. Dear heart, Jesus came to this earth to end the war with the evil one decisively and to defeat the devil on his own ground. And that means your ground too. The cross of Christ is the place where Jesus overcame evil for every single person here. You know, I was once uh, at a conference of people who were sharing their faith, and I heard a speaker articulate this idea that somehow Christ did not win the great controversy at the cross. And then he put the onus on a bunch of young people to try and finish the job that Jesus didn't do. The last time I read my Bible, the victory is in Jesus The decisive victory in the great controversy was heard from the lips of Christ when he said it is finished at the cross. 
As soon as Jesus was baptized, he came for victory. He came for the conflict. He was tempted by the devil in the wilderness. And the devil offered him the kingdoms of the world if he would just bow down and worship him. Christ was born for a journey that would lead him to the cross of Calvary. And Satan offered him an easy way out to avoid the pain. I mean, the devil did not like the idea of the cross in the life of Christ. If there was any way he could convince him to avoid the cross, he would do so. Luke 4, 5, and the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. In the Greek, a stigma, a prick of time. And he said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it shall be yours. I mean, what an offer. The Greek text indicates that Satan offered him the inhabited Roman Empire. The kingdom that he had brought into existence from Babylon to Persia, Greece, the coalescence of all evil in a political structure, Tiberius Caesar sat on the throne of Rome. Satan offered to pull him off the throne of Rome and to place Jesus Christ upon the throne of the Roman Empire. He promised him to be a Messiah who would conquer the Romans. Hail Jesus, hail Jesus, hail Jesus, the new Caesar. Christ was not interested in the kingdom of this world at all. He was unwilling to build his kingdom on the foundation of the devil's conquest. He looked at the devil and he turned away. He said, get behind me, Satan. And the message was clear. I'm going to the cross. I will defeat you there. Verse 8, and Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. I mean, the devil comes to us in life. He comes to you and me, and I know it's the same temptation. He convinces us that there is no cross in the Christian journey. That grace is cheap, but not costly. That we don't have to give of ourselves to receive the free gift. And the same error came to Christ. He offered Christ an easy exit from the path that led to glory. But there is no easy exit from the path that leads to glory. The cost of discipleship is real, and Christ chose the cross. The devil did everything he could to keep Jesus from going to that cross for you and me. He used Peter to try and talk him out of it. Mark 8, 31. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He had to instruct them that this, in fact, was God's plan. Verse 32, and he said this plainly. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Now, it's amazing. Here is Jesus clearly outlining the path that he must go down. That there is in fact a cross that he must meet and there is an exit on the other side. But the cross is the nexus of his journey. And Peter turns to him and says, you don't want to do that. Forget the cross. Try another way. Verse 33, but turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not on the side of God but of men. Peter just melted back into the pack. Jesus would not be talked out of the cross because he loved us. The devil had offered him a way out in the wilderness. Bow down to me. Avoid the cross. I'll make you Caesar. Now he did the same thing in the church through Peter. Don't go there. It's unnecessary. And Jesus said, Satan, get behind me. I mean, there's no way you can misinterpret this. The cross is the essential destiny of Jesus Christ in the incarnation. Without a cross, there is no future. Without a cross, the will of God is not realized in our lives or for Him. 
In John 12, Jesus declared the cross is the place where His glory shines the brightest, and it is the very reason He came into this world. John 12, 27, Now is my soul troubled, Jesus is talking. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, for this very purpose I came to this hour. I came into the world for the cross. Verse 31, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. And then he's very clear. He said this to show by what death he was to die. In verse 32, my translation says that Jesus would draw all men unto himself. Does yours read that way too? Well, the Greek doesn't say that. The word men has been added to the translation. It's the word panta in Greek. It means everything or everyone. It is a word that is used for the universe in various contexts. When I am lifted up on the cross of Calvary, I will draw every single intelligent being who can come to God. I will draw them to me in heaven and earth. That's what he's saying. The cross is the place of the cosmic victory of Jesus Christ. It's the place where the devil finds his ruin and God is exalted and justified in the eyes of the universe. The cross is the place where Satan's kingdom falls and fails and it will never spread to unfallen worlds. The cross is the place where the entire universe at last will boot him out of heaven for good and God himself will be exalted as Lord over all. My favorite theologian describes the condition of the world just before Jesus was born. It's a beautiful synthesis of biblical description. Satan was poised to invade heaven with an attitude of conquest. The earth had gotten so bad that if it had been destroyed, he was ready at that moment to reach out into the galaxies and to corrupt the universe. With intense interest, this theologian writes, the unfallen worlds had watched to see Jehovah arise and sweep away the inhabitants of the earth. And if God should do this, Satan was ready to carry out his plan for securing to himself the allegiance of heavenly beings. He had declared that the principles of God's government make forgiveness impossible. Had the world been destroyed, he would have claimed that his accusations were proven true. He was ready to cast blame upon God and to spread his rebellion to the worlds above. But instead of destroying the world, God sent his son to save it. I love that. Beautiful words from a person who knew Jesus, the best kind of theologian. When Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, Satan was unmasked as a liar. In Zechariah 3, he had argued that the law of God makes forgiveness impossible. He had tried to keep Zechariah the priest out of the temple because of the uncleanness of his, of his garments, because of his past record. There's no way you can forgive him. He had argued that God's law on the inside of that sanctuary makes forgiveness impossible. You can't enter in. How can you forgive the sinner and ignore the fact that the law requires the death of the sinner? The devil fostered that claim. How can mercy be given if justice is set aside? God had no legal right to resurrect anyone and give them eternal life unless justice and mercy kissed. He had no legal right to forgive the sinner. In the Old Testament in Psalms 24, the question was asked in the context of God's right to rule the world. Psalms 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. And here's the question, verse 3. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? 
Who can ascend and who can stand? For thousands of years, no human being was good enough to do either. No human being had ever met the test of perfection required to ascend and to stand until Jesus came. Only one man in the history of the human race deserved to live forever. Only one man born after the sin of Adam was perfect enough so that the death equation had no legal claim on his life. The power of sin in the law had no power over him because he never sinned. And that man was Jesus. Jesus, dear heart, is the person in whom all the truths of the Old Testament meet in human form in the final manifestation of God's truth. He is God in human form. He is the son of David and the son of Adam too. He is the guardian protector of the Jewish nation. He is the second Adam who did not sin like the first one. He is God's justice and both the judge who will judge all the earth. He is the law of God. The Ten Commandment law of God beats inside His human heart and form. He is also the mercy of God that is the first principle of God's law and the glue that holds justice and mercy together. In Jesus, justice and mercy kiss and God is one. Jesus is the fulfillment of Psalms 85 verse 10. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. The Bible teaches that the law of God requires the death of the sinner. And it's fantasy to believe that it does not. I mean, there are people running around today who say that somehow the law of God does not require the death of the sinner. And they imply it was not necessary for Jesus to die. That the only reason Jesus died was to reveal God's love. Dear heart, the Bible is clear in Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. And that sin is the transgression of the law, we're told by John. You put it together and that law requires the death of the sinner. That's justice. But there is a deeper truth inside of God's law than just justice. The law of God requires something more profound than just justice. The law of God also requires forgiveness and mercy. Did you hear me? The same law that requires justice also requires that there be mercy. Satan had argued that the justice of God is incompatible with the principle of mercy. How can you let the sinner go free and enter in and be just at the same time? How can you do that? At the cross of Christ, God made Jesus to be sin. And in Jesus, the sinner was set free and forgiven. The most important truth of the gospel is the truth that Jesus died for our sins. 1 Corinthians 15, 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. You know, sometimes people come to church and they say, well, I don't know if anyone loves me. You ever, you ever feel that way? I live a hard life. Times are tough for me. Well, so-and-so didn't smile at me at church and I didn't get treated nice. Well, dear heart, let me ask you this question. When you came to church, what did you come to church for? To have someone smile at you? Or did you come to church to have God and Jesus proclaim, I have forgiven you of your sins. I have accepted you by grace. I have pardoned you from your iniquity. What did you come to church for? Well, I'd say it's the second one that means more to me than the first. It's nice to have smiles and people treat me nice. Please don't treat me mean after this service. But practically speaking, practically speaking, it's the second truth that's the deepest need that we have. Pastor Michael Oxenteka will be back in just a moment. Reaching Your Heart is a listener-funded program. We step out in faith to purchase airtime on this station because we believe God is working through this radio ministry to touch tens of thousands of lives. Each of our messages is prayed over, biblical messages of hope and Bible truth. 
To continue, we need your support. We do not have a large ministry fundraising machine. We operate totally by faith. Call our toll-free number to make your contribution of any size today. That number is 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Here now, once again, Pastor Michael Oxentenko. You can analyze that verse all day long, but the Word of God is really quite plain here. Christ died for our sins. There are all kinds of different people in the world, and there's only one way in which we're all equal. I mean, sometimes we say, I want to feel like I'm equal to you, vice versa. Well, here's how we're all equal. We have all sinned, and we continue to fall short of the glory of God. Paul says we all do that too. We're all equal in that way. So if you want to be equal, that's how you are. And so what does that mean? It means you deserve to die, I deserve to die, and yet Jesus died for you and me. That's what it means. Let it sink in real deep. The opposite is true too. He did not deserve to die for you at the cross at all, yet you live instead of Him at the cross because of Him. The cross is the great exchange where justice and mercy meet and they kiss in perfect agreement. And Jesus is the kiss of God where justice and mercy meet. Some have argued that the cross of Christ is the ultimate injustice. I always kind of, you know, in some ways I can maybe play with words a little bit, but that's really not the case. That would be true if Jesus was forced to endure the cross. He was not forced to do anything at the cross. He willingly gave his life for the world, so you can't cry out that he's saying injustice. No. The cross of Christ is a revelation of the love of God, the will of God, the free choice of God in Christ that won the war in the great controversy with evil. There is no argument that Satan can bring against God that the cross of Christ has not answered eloquently. It is the focus and the final fix for evil. The cross of Christ is the victory of God over everything that is bad in our lives. As Christians... There are many things we can glory in, but the most important truth is the cross of Jesus Christ. I've been accused by some in my ministry over the years of emphasizing the cross of Christ too much. Every now and then I hear that. I'm going to speak to that very briefly. Whenever I hear this, I'm really dumbfounded by it. What should a gospel preacher emphasize if not the cross and the victory of the cross for the lives of men and women today? And what should they emphasize? If you want to overcome evil without the cross, dear heart, evil will overcome you. There is no victory in anyone's life unless they bow down at the cross and they experience Jesus' victory for them. I mean, if you're trying to fix your family, you're trying to put together the stuff and you have fractured, tense relationships in your home, I mean, how on earth can you do it without the cross? I mean, this notion you can get up here and say a few things and put a few points on the, on the screen and quote a few psychologists will not fix the selfishness of the human heart. It takes the cross of Christ when you bow down at that cross for healing to come into your life. This business of the cross is somehow inadequate and somehow lacking to change your life and bring you back to God is theological nonsense and satanic error from the very pit of perdition itself. The same gospel that was preached in the apostolic age is the same gospel for God's end-time church that will overcome evil at the end of the age. The greatest apostle, the apostle Paul, defined the central theme for the Christian era in Galatians 6.14, But far be it from me to glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The only way to get worldliness out of the church, the only way to extract evil from within is to lift up the cross of Christ. 
1 Corinthians 2, verse 2, Paul said, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, I, I believe in prophecy. I teach prophecy. But I refuse to teach these sacred truths without the cross of Christ. I believe that the prophecies are the proof of the gospel, not a replacement for it. And so the cross is the central theme. What did the cross of Christ accomplish that would make it the central and all-important teaching of the Christian era? There are five primary accomplishments that I'd like to list this morning, just going through them in, in brief order. Cross accomplishment number one. It removed the prince of this world as the leader of this planet. It kicked the devil out of his position of authority. When Satan deceived Adam, Satan became the prince of this world. Jesus calls him the prince of this world. He does not challenge that claim until the cross where he takes the title from him. At the cross, he threw him down. Revelation 12.10. Here we have the great emancipation proclamation that went throughout the universe when Christ hung on the cross of Calvary. It was the basis for his removal from the courts of heaven and for him to be removed from authority on earth. As Christ died, as he moved toward the resurrection, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ, meaning Messiah, have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. For 4,000 plus years of human history, a little child would bow down at the bed at night. Now I lay me down to sleep, pray my soul to keep. And as that prayer would ascend to God, according to this verse, the devil was the high priest for humanity. He was there to manipulate, to accuse, to obstruct the faith and prayers of God's people. But at the cross of Christ, he was removed. No more access, no more ability to fiddle with your prayers, to manipulate outcomes. He was cast out of God's presence. And so in the book of Job, when he accused Job, he can't do that in the New Testament era. He's not up there. John 12, 31, Jesus said, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all, all, meaning everyone, the entire universe to myself. Dear heart, Jesus has authority. I mean, we're not talking about a Savior who has nothing. He has authority to deal with the devil in your life. Cross accomplishment number two. Jesus has been appointed because of the cross as the ruler of the kings of the earth. That means he's the second Adam. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I mean, when we pray to the Lord, we say, Lord, please answer my prayer. I hope you can. Now look at that verse very hard in your Bible. If all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him, can he answer your prayer if it's according to the will of God, yes or no? Can he do impossible things for you even if you feel like he can't? Yes. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And what does that mean? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The authority of Christ is meant to mix with your life for the salvation and good of others. It's not just for you. He goes on to say, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the close of the age. Cross accomplishment number three. In Jesus, God has forgiven us all our sins. And that means Jesus is the only access you have to God to receive forgiveness. It's not a provision, it's a gift. And there's a big difference. Some people will say, well, you know, he just made a provision for you to be forgiven. Let me ask you this question. 
I want you to hear me now. Do we proclaim a good news or something which is becoming good news? It has to be something which is good news. In the heart of Christ, the heart of God was manifest as forgiveness for the human race. While it is true, you must receive it. While it is true, it is a gift. If you reject it, it does you no good. It is nonetheless in Jesus. And the Bible is abundantly clear on this. Colossians 2.13 And you who were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. That means before you turn to God. God made alive together with Him or in Him in the original language, having forgiven us all our trespasses, having canceled the bond which stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. You don't have to be a theologian to understand this verse, but you have to have a broken heart and fall at the cross to accept it. That forgiveness is there for you. It is in Jesus, in the eyes and the prayer of Jesus that said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Cross accomplishment number four, Jesus has freed us from our sins. Well, we're going to need to leave it there for the first portion of Cosmic Crisis, Your Crisis in the Cross. You can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. And we will finish this message the next time we get together. Thank you so much for listening today to Reaching Your Heart. Are you fascinated by the prophecies of Revelation? Have you wished you could understand prophecy better? Do the symbols of the Bible's last book baffle you? God's Last Altar Call is just the book you need. Mark Fenley clearly explains the events soon to unfold in this world. Be sure to call today for your copy, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. The book is yours for a donation of any size. Thank you for your generosity. Your donations keep this ministry on the air. Again, thank you for your support. 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Again, you can listen to this broadcast online at reachingyourheart.com in its entirety along with the rest of the Cosmic Controversy series. And join us again next time. We so appreciate you listening. For Pastor Michael Oxentenko and everyone here, we do pray that God is reaching your heart.